Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.scbts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Well, good evening. Let me invite you to take your Bible and join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. When it comes to the theme of giving and stewardship, uh, I don't think there's any debate that the greatest concentration of Scripture is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and also chapter 9. And as we prepare to consider this important theme tonight that I believe is a vital component of faithful discipleship, let me uh, walk you through with just brief comments, uh, verse 1 through verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, uh, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And the context is the church at Jerusalem uh, was suffering. They were going through a famine. Uh, Paul, on his missionary journeys, is seeking relief, uh, help for them. And in particular, the church at Philippi, the churches of Macedonia, uh, predominantly Gentile churches, had stepped up and had been extremely generous. Even though they were poor, even though they were going through difficult times, uh, they had stepped up. And as Paul says, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they were willing to give. And so, verse 5, and not only as we had hoped... But they first gave themselves to the Lord. Now, there's the key principle, by the way. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us uh, by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. And the uh, text seems to indicate that the Corinthians had not carried through on a pledge. They had basically uh, been invited to assist the church at Jerusalem uh, they had said, oh, sure, we'll give and we'll give a lot. And then when it came time to deliver, they didn't show up. And so Paul had to send Titus. Titus had to use some uh, not so gentle arm twisting to get them to basically fulfill what they said they were going to do. So verse seven. But as you abound in everything that is in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this Grace also. In other words, Paul talks about giving in the context of grace, which is why if you ever hear me talk about it, I always use the phrase grace giving. Verse 8, I speak then not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. So in other words, I'm putting the Philippians and the Macedonians before you to challenge you to carry through and do the right thing. But then here is the ultimate motivation in the Bible for giving, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, 
that you through his poverty might become rich. And so as I'm going to say it several times tonight, when it comes to giving, Paul says, how do you do it? You look to the cross and then you give. It's that simple. You look to the cross and then you give. Charlotte and I were for a number of years a member of a church in another state. That every year had a major fall campaign in terms of pledging uh, the budget. They would always challenge the church to sign pledge cards and pledge the budget. And then they would have a big celebratory day when it was seen that we had pledged to give the budget for the coming year, or perhaps go beyond the, the budget. And, and I remember when we were there, we were given a pledge card. And when you turned the card over, you saw a very interesting statement that went something like this. This is close to being verbatim. Ten uh, percent of what you have belongs to God. The other 90 percent is for you to do with as you see best. And I read that and I thought, my goodness, this church absolutely is devoid of a biblical understanding of what the Bible teaches about stewardship and giving. Because as the Baptist Faith and Message, Article 13 begins, not part of what you have belongs to God. Everything you have belongs to God. It is not... 10% stewardship, it is 100% stewardship. And indeed, the Baptist faith and message statement, I believe, gets it correct. So look at it with me in your notes. God is the source of all blessings, temporal and spiritual. All that we have and are, we owe to Him. Furthermore, Christians have a spiritual debtorship to the whole world. You say, I'm not in debt to the world. Oh, yes, you are. As an ambassador of Christ, as an evangelist, as someone responsible for bringing lost souls to Christ, you and I have a debtorship to the whole world. Indeed, a holy trusteeship in the gospel and a binding stewardship in their possessions. They are therefore under obligation to serve him, that is our Lord, what? With their time, with their talents, and their material possessions. And should recognize all these as entrusted to them to use for the glory of God, number one, and for the helping of others, number two. Thus, according to the scriptures, and almost every one of these words is taken out of Second Corinthians 8 and 9, Christians should contribute of their means. How? Cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionately, and liberally for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on the earth. Now, below there, then on the next couple of pages, I give you and cite some of the more important scriptures taken out of the Baptist Faith and Message, Article 13, on stewardship. Deuteronomy 8:18, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Of course, the classic text on giving that uh, preachers many times address and draw attention to, Malachi 3, 8 through 10, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you, Lord? And God responds, In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. 
So bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the street, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, uh, basically he's saying do it in secret. Don't make a big deal out of it. Don't, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Matthew six nineteen through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, and here's a key biblical principle, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and, and anson and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Now, note what he says. These you ought to have done. In other words, you should have done the initial paying tithe on these various things. These you should have done without leaving the others undone. So, in other words, it's not an either or. It is a, a both and. Acts 2, 44 and 45. Now, all who believed were together. They had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Acts 20, 35. I have shown you in every way. This is Paul speaking. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then out of the great Second Corinthians 8 and 9 text, I isolate just three particular verses. Already have I read Second Corinthians 8 and 9. Again, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He left the glories of heaven, came to earth, died on the cross, paid in full the penalty of your sin. Here is the rich man becoming the ultimate poor man. If he would do that for you, how dare you not do likewise for him, though you would never reach the magnitude of the gift he gave for you and me. Second Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Just as an aside, I hope that you don't see giving as something that is just a routine, a rut, an obligation. Yeah, I'm supposed to give God some of my money. The, the Bible almost says if that's how you feel about it, then, then don't do it. Because this is one time in your Christian life where God really does care about the attitude of your heart. He really cares about the motive behind what you're doing. So don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it out of necessity. Why? 
For God loves a cheerful. Many of you have heard that the word uh, in the Greek text, we get our English word hilarious from it. God loves a hilarious giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Paul comes to the end of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and once more he looks to the cross and he simply says, as he concludes his treatise on giving, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And of course, the indescribable gift that he is talking about there is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then very interestingly... Many of us in this room would have memorized Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But here's what's interesting. Those two verses are found in a passage of Scripture that deals with what? Giving. Giving. In other words, if you are faithful... To give to the things of God, then you can count on the fact that you'll do all things through Christ who strengthens. You can count on the fact that God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But you go read Philippians 4, 10 through 23, and you'll see that these two promises are embedded in a text that deals with the issue of being generous in giving financially to the work of the Lord. So with those scriptures as the foundation, let's look at the article and unwrap it. Several truths can be highlighted from this important article and much neglected doctrine. In fact, many pastors are just fearful to ever preach on giving uh, because they uh, often hear the uh, accusation, well, all you want is my money. Uh, all you ever do is preach on giving. The fact matter is, uh, I don't hear preachers all that often preach on money anymore. I'm glad we're giving a series on stewardship. Furthermore, we don't want your money. God doesn't need your money. Uh, the issue of giving is not something you do for us. The issue of giving is actually something that is an overflow and an outgrowth of your gratitude for what God has done for you in Christ. And so the beneficiary of giving ultimately is you. You say, I benefit when I give, you benefit when you give. And if you don't give, then you miss out and you uh, stunt yourself in terms of your spiritual growth and in terms of your spiritual uh, maturity. By the way, I was reading on it this afternoon as I was doing some additional work in another area. One out of every four Protestants in America that attends church never puts even a penny in the offering plate of the church they attend. The average American who goes to church gives 2.6% of their annual income to the work of the Lord. Only 27% of those who claim to be evangelicals give at least 10% of their income to the work of the Lord. In other words, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on out there, and there's a lot of disobedience going on out there, and there's a lot of people that may attend church, but spiritually speaking, they are stunted and stunted badly in their growth. So what do we learn from this article? Number one, God owns everything, and therefore we are to be stewards of all that he gives us. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. As creator, then, he owns all that is or ever will be. Therefore, he owns our lives and our bodies. He owns our goods and our possessions. He owns us all. Now, in his wisdom and in his providence, he has placed in our hands and at our disposal certain blessings and gifts for our use for his glory. And therefore, we are responsible 
for using his blessings given to us for his glory, for our good and for the welfare of others. Indeed, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 29, make it clear that our responsibility is to multiply the gifts given to us by God. And being a responsible uh, steward of all that we have is a part of our Christian discipleship. In other words, your giving to the work of the Lord is a very vital, and I would even argue a telltale sign of your maturity in Christ and your growth in discipleship. Number two. Scripture teaches us to give how? Cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionally, and liberally to the Lord's work. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the clearest text on this. Now, note this. Mark this. The command to tithe is clearly given in the Old Testament. Some have argued, though, that since the tithe is not mentioned in a positive way in the New Testament... Tithing does not apply to Christians today. So, question, how do we respond to this very common uh, and growing, uh, in terms of popularity, uh, argument about giving? Well, a couple of things. One, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, Paul says, quote, Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection uh, be made when I come. In other words, you've already saved it. I don't have to make it. And so Paul says on a on an annual. No, on a monthly. No, on a weekly basis, you put aside and save to give to the work of the Lord. Again, second Corinthians chapter nine and verse six. Now, this I say, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So here's what I think. Here, here's what I taught basically for 30 years, and I have not read anything or seen anything that causes me to back off from this. I believe the tithe to our local church is a good place to begin in principle, but it is a terrible place to stop. In terms of our giving, I want to say that again. I believe the tithe, 10% of the income that God allows you to make to your local church, that's where you start, is a good place to begin in principle, but is a terrible place to stop in terms of giving. So it is a valuable and worthy principle for us to follow. When I was... um, 19 turning 20, I got my life right with the Lord. I had not walked with the Lord as a teenager. I got my act together. God began to just work wonderfully in my life. And I began to listen to the preacher more than I had before. In fact, I moved from sitting on the back row of the balcony. If we had one, I'd been right up there on the back row. Uh, used to cut up, act up. It's amazing. God did not strike me dead. Uh, we actually took a boy's shirt off one Sunday morning in church, had him stripped down. Work just beating him up in the pew. I mean, I'm serious. I, I just can't believe God didn't kill us. And I'm surprised somebody else didn't kill us. But anyway, so we would, we would act up like a fool, but God got my, got a hold of my heart. So when God got a hold of my heart, I left the balcony. I came over now and I said, like, well, we only had a, we had a, no, we didn't have a center aisle, but I'd sit over on that side about the fourth pew that back. And I'd sit there and I'd have my Bible, my notebook, and I'd begin to listen really, really well. And so one Sunday, I don't remember why, but the pastor preached on tithing. 
Now, folks, God knows my heart. I did not know what tithing was. I, I didn't know. So I went home and I, I asked my mom on uh, Sunday after we were while we were having dinner or lunch. I said, Mom, what's tithing? And she said, well, it's giving 10 percent of your income to the Lord. I said, 10 percent. She said, 10 percent. I said, that's what we're supposed to do. She said, that's what we're supposed to do. Well, at that time, I was working for Mrs. Filberts. Uh, David knows Miss Filberts, being a Georgia boy. Miss Filberts made margarine and mayonnaise. And I worked part-time, went to college, junior college, worked at Miss Filberts. And uh, if I remember correctly, I made something along the lines of $88 a week. That's what I was making working part-time at Mrs. Filberts. So we didn't have calculators back then. If we did, I couldn't afford one. But I knew how to do my, my, my division. So I had 88 times .10 equals what? $8 and what? 80 cents. So guess what I started giving the Lord? Eight dollars. I didn't give him eight seventy nine. No, I didn't give him eight eighty one. That wasn't the requirement. The requirement was ten percent. Eight dollars and eighty cents, like clockwork, just every week, every week, every week, every week. Well, about six seven months later, uh, our pastor then talked about what he called what he called free will offerings coming out of the Old Testament economy, and so that was rather interesting to me. So I went back home and I said, "What's this?" Free will offering stuff. I, I think I got it, but I'm not really sure. But it sounds to me like uh, what he was saying, Mom, is we can give more than a tithe. And she said, well, that's what he was saying, because our church was trying to get out of debt. So she says, you can give more than a tithe. I said, really? Really? I said, how much? She says, as much as you want. Well, I wasn't making a whole lot of money, but I did have a car. I had a Nova, uh, brown, tan uh, vinyl top. And I sold my Nova, $600, gave $600 to the Lord, just gave the whole thing. You say, well, you didn't have a car. No, but Mama did, so I started using her car. I mean, you know, she had a car, I could use her car. And so I gave all the money to the church. Now, I say all that to say this, and I don't say that to do this. I mean, I was so thrilled that God had not killed me. I was so thrilled that God still loved me. I was so thrilled now that I was walking with the Lord. He could have said, climb the steeple, do your best to stand on your head, and I'd have done it. I'd have done it. I mean, why wouldn't we do what God tells us to do? I mean, why wouldn't we? Most new Christians who get excited about Jesus, it's just whatever it is. They basically give the Lord a blank check. We get more mature in the faith, and then we begin to kind of learn to negotiate and, and cut the corners. And, you know, so anyway, to this day, she can tell you, been married 32 almost years. We've always given at least a tithe and usually more than a tithe all the years that we've been married. We, we start with our local church. Then we give to other things like today. We give our tithe. Actually, give more than a tithe to our church. We then give a good amount of money to um, to Southeastern Seminary. We give a good amount to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Uh, we give monies to ministries in uh, in India. And we'll keep going. We are going to leave when we die. Twenty five percent of whatever we have, whatever we have when we die, is going to go to Southeastern Seminary. And I challenge all of you: Why you want to leave it all to your kids? I have no idea. And why would you leave everything to your kids? They haven't always been nice to you. Certainly not as nice as God's been to you. And so why not give God? In fact, when we come out, we've been talking about this is for free. When we come out in a few weeks with our great Commission Resurgence Task Force final report, we're going to challenge all believers to leave at least 10% of what they have when they depart this world to the work of the Lord. Why wouldn't we? 
Why would we not leave something to this church? Why would we not leave something to the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, Southeastern Seminary, Samaritan First? I mean, we can go on for a long time of wonderful, blessed ministries. And what that allows you to do is continue in the work of the Lord after you are dead and gone. But again, we have such a messed up way of thinking in this area. All I'm saying again is I think the tithe is a good place to start. You say, well, if I'm not doing a tithe, I'd start trying to move toward it. I'd start trying to move toward it, but I would not be content when I get there. See, some people think as long as I give a tithe, I'm fine. You've been giving a tithe for 40 years, and you're still bitter and mad about it. No, no, no. You should be giving joyfully, cheerfully, generously. And again, the tithe, great place to start. Terrible, terrible, terrible place to stop. Well, we move on then. The New Testament teaches... That Christians should give even as God has blessed them in Christ. So here's my simple principle again. Look to the cross and give. You say, Danny, it sounds to me like you're saying giving should be an act of worship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you'll always give more out of a context of worship than you ever would under legalism or obligation. So look to the cross and give the tithe is not done away with in the New Testament, in my judgment. But a greater principle of giving is placed upon the disciple of Christ. Christians are to give sacrificially as God gave sacrificially when he gave his son. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15. Number three. A final topic mentioned in Article 13 is the motivation for our stewardship. The glory of God, number one, and the benefit of others, secondly. Thus, stewardship obviously involves more than our income or our possessions, though it does involve that. It actually refers to every aspect of our lives. Thus, giving of our means is a part of true Christian worship. For example, building upon this, taking care of our bodies is a part of our stewardship so that we can serve God with all of our might. Thus, we work in order to be able not only to provide for ourselves and our families, we do start there, but also that we might give to the Lord's work and also be a blessing to others. In our materialistic society, we must challenge believers to work so that they might give to the Lord's work around the world. God's glory should be the driving force behind how we use all the gifts and possessions that God has placed in our care. At the end of our lives, our goal should be that we are found as faithful stewards of all that our Lord has entrusted to us. And I would add, even to continue to be a part of the Lord's work by what we leave behind after we go to be with Him in heaven. So, some quick practical observations as we move to close tonight. Stewardship often is not a popular topic among the people of God. Yet, it is central to Christian discipleship. Further... Stewardship provides the means by which the church finances ministries at home and around the world. And again, I don't want to be mean, and the odds are the people that are here tonight uh, are in the faithful giving crowd. But, you know, if you come here week after week after week after week and partake of the ministries of this church, you don't give anything. Basically, you're a thief. You're, just, you're a thief. You're taking something and not giving anything in return. You're taking something that, you know, in a sense doesn't belong to you because you're not invested in it. So basically you wind up being a thief. And, and that's shameful. It's, it's unconscionable. So what can we say about uh, uh, practical insights about giving? Five, very quickly. First, 
According to the BFNM, stewardship begins with an affirmation of the nature and the character of God. I like that. Without this perspective of the nature of God, stewardship often descends into the abyss of what? Legalism, divine manipulation, and self-exaltation. You say legalism, yeah, I just do it because I have to. Divine manipulation, people guilt you like these uh, charlatans on television that can manipulate your emotions and get you to give something to them so that they can have a bigger jet plane and a bigger and additional mansion. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. I, I got through this a long time ago. You'll never get me to give anything on the spot. Never. I don't care who you are. I'm going to go home. I'm going to talk to Charlotte. We're going to think about it. We're going to pray about it. And then we'll decide whether or not we're going to give this something. But you will not manipulate me into giving on the spot to anything. I don't care who it is. I'm not going to do it. I don't need to be giving when I am being pressured. I need to be giving when I am praying, thinking, and giving good thought to whether or not this is something worthy of me to participate in in terms of my giving. And then self-exaltation, where you have people that want to give, but they want everybody to know what they give. They want everybody to know who they are, what they've done, and so on. I, again, let me move on. The character then of the sovereign God is good. James wrote, Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. And so anything you have, he already gave you. You're just giving back to him what he gave you first. Second, the BFNM highlights stewardship as a sacred trust. God owns it all. We merely serve as house managers, stewards of God's possessions. Thus, the gospel is the greatest trust we hold. As the recipients of God's good news, we owe a spiritual debt to all humans to share that priceless gift with every person on the planet. Thus, the only way to pay down this debt is through gospel proclamation. I like that statement. As trustees, God holds us accountable for our stewardship. Thus, accountability functioned as the primary theme of Jesus' teaching about stewardship. And Jesus, by the way, said a lot about stewardship. Number three, the BFNM emphasizes the comprehensive nature of stewardship. Under the Lordship of Christ, it encompasses my time, my talents, my, my material possessions. A disciple, therefore, seeks, I like this statement, maximum kingdom impact. Maximum Kingdom impact. How? By committing all time, all talents, and all possessions to the Lordship of King Jesus. Fourth, the FNM sets forth the ultimate purposes of biblical stewardship, namely, one, the glory of God, and number two, helping others. Fifth and finally, the FNM affirms kingdom giving. Disciples give to advance the Redeemer's cause. Paul identified the first principle of giving as giving oneself to the Lord, 2 Corinthians 8, 5. Giving then is what? A matter of worship. It is a matter of the heart. Thus, Christians are admonished by Paul to give cheerfully. They're to give regularly, systematically, and proportionately. You know, it's amazing. We have learned through studies that percentage-wise, the folks who tend to be the most generous are on the lower socioeconomic scale of things. In fact, I've encountered some men in my life that have said to me, and I quote, well, you know what, Danny? I, I just make too much money to tithe it to the church. I don't even know what to do with that kind of nonsense. Oh, I would tithe when I didn't have so much. But now that God has blessed me abundantly, I can't, 
I can't give that much. I, I just can't give that much money. Well, maybe God will take care of that and bring you back down to where you used to be so that you can tithe again. That, that's what I would do. In fact, that's what I'd whack you upside the head big time and send you back down to the pauper's house and see if you know maybe you could find once more that motivation for giving to the Lord in a generous and gracious and thankful kind of a way. But no, we give regularly, systematically, proportionately. Thus, Paul advised the Corinthian church to give the first day of the week regularly and systematic, proportionate to God's blessings in their life. Furthermore, Paul also encouraged churches in special offerings. Our church, for example, is it right for us to also invite our people to go beyond the 10% principle to build a wonderful building that we use for outreach in our community? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that at all. Is it, is it okay for us to ask our people to give beyond what we normally give to reach the nations through Lottie Moon? Yes. Through Annie Armstrong in North America? Yes. Those are good things to do that go beyond our normal, regular, systematic giving week in and week out. But as with all giving, and I'll close with this, God's people must give generously and, here's the phrase, Handle all financial gifts with the highest integrity for the glory of God. There should never be an opportunity or occasion for accusation of financial mismanagement to have any merit. Uh, our pastor, I don't know that Randy's any different, they won't let you put a check in their hand. I, we came one Wednesday night, hadn't been here for a while. Uh, on Sunday, and so we had to, we had wanted to make sure our, our gift was given, and so I, I found Brother Bill, and, and he used the thought that I had a rattlesnake in my hand. And, and it was a good check. I mean, it was a good check. It wasn't going to bounce, had a good number on it, and he's like, Ooh. and he said, well, I, I'll go, and next thing I know, Kenny Getz comes down and says, I, I can, I can take the check. And so I gave it to Kenny. Well, I like that. I like the fact that unlike some churches, uh, our staff doesn't handle the money. Uh, we have checks and balances that ensure that not one person could embezzle money, take money, steal money. Uh, we are very transparent. We're very accountable. We're very open. The seminary, by the way, is the same way. Uh, any one of you can go over there and meet with Ryan Hutchison, our vice president, and go up into his office, and we'll let you look at our books and see where our monies go and see what we do, because we want you to have confidence and trust that when you give to here or you give there, that the money is going to what you hope and pray and believe it's going to go. And I'll just say this as I do close, folks. I wouldn't give a penny, not a cent, to someone that I cannot hold them accountable in terms of where it goes and what they do with it. In other words, if they say to me, just trust me, that's a red flag that I can't trust you. I, I would never say that. Just trust me. Do you know how evil my heart is? Do you know how, oh, I can't go there. There's just some of the things I think and some of the things I could do if I weren't redeemed. In fact, I've often said if I weren't saved, I'd be a, a godfather. And I'd be taking people out left and right, enjoying it, letting them sleep with the fish, cutting their hands off. Cutting, I, I, you say, you're, you're, you need to be in therapy. I probably do. And I am. I'm in the school of Christ, and he's working on me and getting me better, and I'm healing, and I'm moving in the right direction. But I'm just telling you, folks are so susceptible, even believers, to being seduced by certain things. And I don't think anything is more seductive than money. That's why Paul said, and I will stop, the love of what? Money. Correctly, it says, is the root of all sorts of evil. It doesn't say it's the root of all evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. And by the way, he was writing that to Christians. 
So if that's what Paul says, then we want to be a part of a body of believers that handles with the highest degree of integrity the gifts that our people give, that there's never a question, there's never a doubt that we are indeed spending money wisely and rightly for the glory of God and for the good of others. Let's pray. Father, I have enjoyed studying this. I've enjoyed getting ready to study it. I've enjoyed teaching it tonight. Because, Lord, this is an area where we don't need to shy away, but we need to move headlong into it and challenge our people to see if God indeed will not meet all their needs through Jesus Christ when they are gracious, generous givers. And, Lord, I do believe that giving is ultimately an act of worship. And I do believe the best way to give is get on your knees, look to the cross, Reflect for a moment what King Jesus did for me when he left heaven and came to this earth and died. And then, Lord, worship and worship by giving. How anyone could look at the cross and give in a miserly, uh, stingy kind of a way, I I can't even begin to comprehend. It is just not possible. But you look at what Jesus gave for us and oh, how you're motivated to give cheerfully and generously. I pray, Lord, that the folks of White Crossroads Baptist Church would indeed be generous, cheerful givers, that there would be more than enough provided to do all the things you've called us to do, to be a gospel lighthouse here in Wake Forest, Raleigh, here in North Carolina, here in the United States, and, Lord, around the world. May that be true of this precious church, we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.